Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Have you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, we started our series on the book of Peter. And we'll continue that today. A key um, text today, if you skip down to verse 7, just as a way of introduction, it says this, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. There is a fiery trial that was taking place here during this time. Nero was the Caesar. And in July of 64 AD, he burnt the city of Rome. 70% of it was burnt. And then, because he took, again, I said this last week, and I'll say it again, no pun intended, but he took heat for it, and he blamed it on the Christians. Peter would be executed, as would Paul, under Nero. And Nero would commit suicide in 68 AD. Interesting that Nero, the great persecutor, would commit suicide. Pontius Pilate also committed suicide. And Judas, who betrayed Christ, committed suicide. Tragic. Now, I also mentioned last week that 15 times with eight different words, suffering is mentioned in this book. We see in verse 1 that they are scattered, the dispersion. The persecution is so great that those in Asia Minor and in, in Asia, and it's written to Gentiles, have to scatter for their safety. That's how bad things are. It's interesting to also note in Daniel's vision, in Daniel chapter 7, of the fourth beast, referring to the Roman Empire, that beast had so much ferocity that it upset Daniel greatly, enough so that he wanted to know more. The beast had iron teeth and bronze claws. And so when we're talking about persecution of believers here, we're talking about some serious, thing, serious things that are going on. Execution, slavery, perhaps rape, homes being destroyed, etc. Peter is writing this book from Rome, and he's somehow trying to encourage this group of believers that are going through this hardship. You and I suffer our own challenges. Could be sickness. Could be a loss of a loved one recently. Could be financial issues. Could be interpersonal issues. Whatever you're coping with today, what other struggle that you have today, 
understand that God's word is relevant for you right now. And who Peter was writing to back then, they were probably facing much more difficult trials than we have faced and will face. And I hope that's the case. Now, the title of my message today is Coping with Suffering. And I have four points. Number one, we must focus on our bright future. And I think Peter does that in verses three to five. He says, you need to focus. I know you're suffering, but focus because there's good days coming in the future. And we're talking about eternity. Number two, recognize that trials are aimed to bring spiritual growth and eternal treasures. In other words, God's trial in your life today has been measured out in eternity past with a purpose to make you more like Christ. And I believe also to bring eternal treasures. Number three, coping with suffering. Happiness and joy are still possible in the midst of hardship. Even in the midst of hardship that they're going through, Peter's saying, rejoice and be full of joy. Because you can still have that. And then finally, much given, much expected. Much given, much expected. In other words, we will stand before God and we've been given many blessings. And we'll have an account. And that should help us through our trials of coping with suffering. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll consider this passage. Father in heaven, you are the creator of the universe. You spoke this vast universe into existence in six days. You could have done it in a moment's time. And Father, your power that you have is indescribable. We cannot describe or fathom your greatness, your holiness, your purity, your wisdom. Lord, today, no doubt, if it's not today, it was in the past or will be in the future, each of us is somehow coping with suffering. Whether it be emotional, whether it be interpersonal, whether it be because of finances, whether it be discouragement, whether it be a physical infirmity, we're suffering somehow. And Father, I pray today the word of God would be a comfort and a challenge to us. Speak to us. Hide me behind the cross. May Jesus Christ be lifted up today. We pray in his name. Amen. Focus on your bright future. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. Okay, mercy is withdrawing what we deserved. God withdrew his judgment, has begotten us again. That literally is born again, just like in John 3, 6, 3, 7. You must be born again. He has begotten us again. It's a completed action. It's an event. There is an event that took place in your life. If you know Christ as your Savior, where you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Lord and Savior for your salvation. You were born again. There is a spiritual reborn birth. When we are first born, we are born spiritually dead apart from God because of our sin. But 
he says to them, God has given you a rebirth. You are spiritually alive. And then he says this, begotten us again to a living hope. Zoe Elpis, Elpis is the Greek, two Greek words, life and confidence. You have life, you're spiritually alive because you got saved when we trusted Christ as Savior. And we have hope, which means confidence. It's not like, oh, I hope I go to heaven. It's I'm confident that heaven is, is, is real. I'm confident that I'm going to heaven because of Jesus' promise to me. That's the idea. Now, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, that's why we have the confidence, because he defeated death. And we are alive right now, and when we die, when this body dies, our spirit will go to Christ and be with him. We never die. We don't we don't stop existing. And then someday our bodies will be raised from the dead. It's a bright future. Now, look what he says in verse 4. To an inheritance. We know what an inheritance is, right? Someone dies and they leave us an inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. This inheritance that God leaves us is superior. Why? Well, first of all, it's incorruptible. Now, you don't have to turn there, but if you would go to 1 Corinthians 1552, it's the same word, and it speaks of our glorified body. Our bodies are dying. And the older we get, the more we notice that, the more the aches and pains and frailties, etc. But someday we will be given a glorified body. And that glorified body will not be susceptible to sickness or pain or anything else. And so our inheritance guarantees this glorified new body that we will have. That's the idea there. Incorruptible and undefiled. Now, and you don't have to turn there, but if you would go to Hebrews chapter 13, 4, it says, let the wedding bed be undefiled. It's pure. You see, not only are our bodies falling apart because of sin, but the biggest enemy we have against living a holy life is ourselves because we have a sin nature, a nature that wants to rebel against God. But someday, this idea here, this word undefiled means that someday our bodies will not only be indestructible, but we will not be capable of sinning any longer. And the sins that discourage us and sometimes break our hearts, we won't have to deal with. And so Peter's saying that to encourage them. And then he says, and does not fade away. Our inheritance now will fade away. You could lose it. Or when we die, we won't be able to keep it. I think this is more of a monetary um, paradise, which he's talking about here. It does not fade away. In other words, there are treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, verses 21 and following, that do not corrupt, do not rust, 
And so God is saying, there are treasures that I'm giving you in heaven that you will have for eternity. And so it doesn't fade away. And then it says reserved in heaven for you. The idea of reserved is, is to keep an eye out. You, you may make that expression sometimes. Somebody say, you know, there's been some activity around. So keep an eye out. Be, be, be vigilant. And the idea here is that God keeps an eye out for this inheritance. And then he comes stronger in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. The word kept is a term that was used for military guards. Not only now do I want you to keep an eye out, I want you to take a military guard. I don't want them to stand post because I want this thing protected. Now, Fort Knox is probably the, 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 um, has probably the greatest military presence in the world because of the wealth. Seven trillion dollars of gold in Fort Knox, approximately. And you know how big seven trillion is? If you took one dollar bills and stacked them up, you could go all the way to the moon and back. That's how big seven trillion is, okay? So the military present is so powerful there because they don't want anyone breaking in. But you and I, our salvation, our inheritance and our salvation, our place in heaven is kept, is under security, under guard by the power of God. That's eternal security, isn't it? can't lose your salvation. God is the one that gave it to us, and God is the one that protects us. Through faith, faith is the means of our salvation. It's interesting, by the way, we looked at this last week. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, we saw that our salvation, last week we touched on this at the end, our salvation, again, was an event. It was in the perfect, it's in the perfect tense there. So it's an event, and perfect tense means it's, it's completed action with ongoing results. It describes our salvation perfectly. We get saved, but there's a change as a result of our salvation. But then what's also interesting in John 3, 16, when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, that word believe is a present participle. That means believing. It means this. What are you trusting in right now to get you to heaven? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone, then that's you. Then God promises to go to heaven. So here's the idea. You get saved in a moment, but then combining this verse here, your faith continues throughout your entire life because God makes you to continue to believe. That's the idea. Now, it also says this in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed on the last time. The last time is, I believe, is, is when Christ returns and it speaks about the Bema seed of Christ. And it's when we stand before Christ as Christians and we're given our awards. Okay. When we talk about standing for God, it's not judgment. It's a Bema seed. It's actually like a platform like this. You go up a couple steps and you're given an, an, an award. And so the last time it's going to be revealed, the fullness of our salvation, all the implications of our salvation, all of our inheritance, if you would, will be revealed in one moment. Because that's the idea with this passage. When it says in verse 5, 
revealed. It's in the aorist tense. It's an event. It's in the passive. It means we're the recipients. And it's almost like somebody has like a, 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 you know, a tarp over a car and they pull it off. And bang, here's your reward. That's what you get. And so when we're talking about suffering, Peter is saying, listen, you have a home in heaven. You have an inheritance. And God is going to give you this treasure someday. So as you're going through this hardship, keep eternity in mind. Now, point number two, recognize that trials are aimed to bring spiritual growth and eternal treasures. We see that in verses six to seven. In verse six, it says this, and this you greatly rejoice. If we meditate on the truth that I just communicated, then we can outwardly rejoice. That's how the greatly rejoice is, is, is a display of, yes, this is, I'm excited, is the idea. Now, in this you greatly rejoice. Now Peter is going to shift over now because he's saying, all right, you got to, we got to, you know, we have this, this inheritance in heaven, but now we got to deal with the problem right now. So what do we do? Though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, right now, you're grieved. For a little while, it may continue. Now, the word little while there is a comparative term. It's puny compared to eternity. That's the idea. Now, interesting, the word grieve there, see that the word grieved in verse six? We know what grieved means, so there's no great um, insight to that word. But I think the tense helps us. It's an heiress passive participle. And this is what it means. Okay, It means that you're standing there minding your own business. You're cutting the grass. You're washing the car. You're at work. All is good. And all of a sudden, I want you to picture this cloud of grief just comes over and, and it just bang, goes right over top of you. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. You didn't do anything. It just came and bang, you're the, you're, it's in the past. You're the receiver of grief. And it's in the airs, so it's an event that took place. Some event, something that takes place in a moment's time has called you to, caused you to be under a cloud of grief. That's exactly what's taking place here. There's something that happened in Peter's day that caused great grief for many individuals so strong that they had to scatter. And it comes upon them. Now, it also says by various trials. The trials for one person may be different than the trial for someone else, but the grief is the same. And then he says this, recognize, again, my point is recognize trials are aimed to bring spiritual growth, eternal treasures. So we establish there's a trial because there's grief. Now look at verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You see that word tested there? That word tested and that word in the beginning, genuineness, are the same word. It means that there is an experiment and the experiment is conducted to see what the result may be. 
Like I remember back in science class, probably, I don't know, middle school when we made a volcano and then you would take, some of you remember this, you take the baking soda, right? And you put vinegar and it explodes, not explodes, but it, it fizzes up like a volcano. And so you were testing to see what does a vinegar and baking soda do if I mix it together? So it's an experiment to see a result. And that's what God's doing. That's why it's interpret. That's why I think the, the interpreters um, or, or the the individuals that interpret the New King James version they interpret it with the word genuineness because one of the things with this trial, God puts us through trials and has done that for years. He puts us through trials to see how genuinely are we genuinely His child. It's a test. And not just for us, because after, you know, we, again, our, our assurance is based on God's promises, but it helps to see those things as well to give us more assurance, but also for others, that others will look and say, that person is genuine. So the trials that you're going through may be not just for you, but for others around you to see the light of Christ shining brightly. It's very easy for us to praise God when things are going well. But when things are not going well and we're still praising God, there's power in that. And so there's a purpose in this trial. Because remember we read last week, people are looking. They're looking. They're inspecting our lives to see what the deal is. The other thing with trials, it's also a purging process. God purchases us. I think that's the idea with gold. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. So apparently, and I don't know because I've never dug for gold, but apparently when you dig for gold or silver and, and you, it's found, you have to, first of all, test it, put it under fire, you refine it to see if it's genuine. I remember one time we were in... Nogales, uh, Mexico. We went to a we went to it for a trip in Arizona back in 1988 without my my family. And my dad, we were in Nogales, Mexico, and my dad was um, negotiating a deal with buying some jewelry. And he said that the price is a little high because I don't think these stones on this particular jewelry are real. I think it's plastic. So the guy got a lighter and he lit it and he put it under stones and said. This is real. It's genuine. So God does, right? But then with metal, they put that, they put it through the refiner to extract some of the dross or the impurities. And they keep refining it and refining it and refining it. And I bought, one time I bought seven uh, 1 kg bars of silver. And on the back of it, it says something like 0.99999 pure. That's what God's doing to us. You see, God is putting us under the fires of trials to make us more like Christ. So there's a purpose behind that. I think it's also interesting this, though, because I said in my second point, trials are aimed to bring spiritual growth and eternal treasures as well. Because I got to be honest with you, and you're probably the same. When I read the book of Job, and I see that man of God lose seven sons and three daughters and all of his servants 
with the exception of two, in a moment of time, I wonder why a loving God would allow that. And I know God is love and he's all wise. I also look at it and see all the hardship he went through. I mean, the physical hardship with the boils and the pain and he couldn't eat. And then his friends and all that he went through. It's horrific. But then I look at eternity. And in the last chapter of Job, we see that Job got to know God better. Brother Mark read that. That's good. But I still, it's hard. And then he got, I think, the same amount of children back. But you and I know that you can't just replace children. So you're going, why did God allow that? We've got to think eternal. We've got to think eternal. You have to see God's love in eternity, right? Because now, look at verse 7. It says this, that, 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 the, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Now, here's the key, I think. May be found. Now, that's one word. Defined. It's one word, right? But that word is in the passive voice. So we're not the doers of the action. I'll tell you what this doesn't say, and I'm going to tell you what it does say. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say, may be found to praise, in other words, that we will praise, honor, and glory the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. Now that may happen, but that's not what that's saying, because it's in the passive voice. What it's saying is this, when Jesus Christ returns at the glory, at, glory, at the revelation of Jesus Christ in his, at his return, when Jesus Christ returns and we stand before the Bema seat, we are the recipients of praise and honor and glory. Why? Because God puts us through trials and hardship and through his strength, hopefully, God's goal then is that we stay close to him and we grow closer to him and we become more like Christ. And then when God comes back, he rewards us for that. You see? Now, if you look at that and say, all the hardship, all the difficulties, all the trials that Job went through, it's hard to understand why a loving God will do that, except if you now look at eternity and see how much God will bless him for all eternity for going through that trial. Then it makes sense. And so recognize that your trials are to strengthen us here, yes, but they're also to help us to gain eternal treasures in, in, in glory because God God is by nature generous. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Happiness and joy are still possible in the midst of hardship. That's our third point. Now, I want you to, I'm going to quote John. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9, but I'm going to quote, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to quote John chapter 15, verse 11. Happiness and joy are still possible in the midst of hardship. This is the key. Again, I think this is the key to. The Christian life. But this is the key, I think, in this, this passage today. John 15, 11, these things I, ha I have spoken to you that my, that, your jo that my joy may remain in you 
and that your joy may be full. What things? Jesus in that context, is his days are numbered. He's within a week of dying on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, the apostles, not knowing this right now, their lives will forever be different. Because not only will he not be there, but they're going to face some serious persecution. So Jesus prepares them and he says, I am teaching you about the vine and the branches and the fruit because when the hardship goes and the hardship comes upon you, I want my joy to remain in you. Now, I want you to go to verse 25 of 1 Peter chapter 1, because I want you to see this is the same word. My joy remain in you. What does that word remain mean? Verse 25, 1 Peter chapter 1. Very good. Very good. You're right. It does. But the word of the Lord endures. Endures. That's the same word. Forever. So God, when the trials come and the hardship comes, and it has come here in Peter. God wants us to have joy, but the joy endures through the trial. Because our joy is not based on circumstances, but based on our fellowship with Christ. Now, go back up to verse 9. Let's see this. Verse 9. He says this, our third point again, happiness and joy are still possible in the midst of hardship. Verse eight, excuse me, whom, speaking of Christ, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing. You notice Peter speaks of that twice. You don't see him, you don't see him, but you love him. He's making a point. And we have to take the time right now to do this, but you can check in second Peter chapter 1 at the end of that chapter is that the word of God is more sure and more certain and more reliable than our experiences. Peter experienced and saw Christ on a man of transfiguration reveal his glory. But Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 and 21 I saw with my eyes, but I am telling you this, the word of God is more reliable than that experience that I had. We can trust the word of God. So Peter is saying, essentially, you haven't seen Christ, but you got God's promises and you have a relationship with him. And that relationship is much deeper than what you see. And then he says this, though, not, though now you, know, you do not see him yet believing, now look at this, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The key is their belief. I believe that if I abide in Christ, that I can have joy. And he's saying, and that's where you're at. You're abiding in Christ. You're having close, intimate fellowship with Christ. And because of that, you rejoice outwardly. And you rejoice inwardly. There's a joy inwardly. Even though, remember, there is grief. Remember, they're overcome with grief. There can still be joy. Now, it's inexpressible. 
How can you have joy in the midst of this hardship? It doesn't mean we don't grieve, we don't cry. It doesn't mean those things, of course. But we get through it, and we're still walking with Christ. And we still believe. We rejoice. There's power in that. Inexpressible and full of glory. Glorifies God and glory in the sense of us that we're being a light to glorify God. And then it says this, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, the end of our faith means the end of our life or before Christ or Christ comes back. So the end of our stay here on this earth, in this situation, you receive it. Now, the word um, receive, receiving here, is in the present tense middle voice, and it's a participle. So why is that significant? Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that can go back to verse 4. We talked about, remember, we have an inheritance. We're going to have a glorified body. We're not going to be capable of sinning. Hallelujah. And we're going to have treasures. So the end of our salvation is that. When we get to heaven, when we're there for like two seconds, we won't even think about this world. It'll be so glorious. And what Peter is saying here, I believe, putting that word receiving in the present tense, he's not saying someday you're going to have joy. He's saying that glory in heaven, that inheritance right now, you experience right now. You're receiving it now. It's not in the future. It's now. He also has it in the middle voice, which means that you have to fight for it. The middle voice means I am the doer, but I am also the receiver of the action. Remember, we gave an illustration before. I hit the ball. I'm the doer. The pitcher pitched the ball and it hit me. I'm the receiver. The middle voice is I hit the ball, but then the ball hit me on like a foul tip. Now, the idea here is, is that we need to pursue God and we need to fight to abide in Christ because it's not natural, because we have enemies specifically our heart. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, exercise yourself to godliness. Why? Because if you exercise yourself to godliness, let, let me picture this. You're chasing after God. You're exercising yourself to godliness. Then God is behind you chasing after you because you're not receiving. You're reaping the benefits of your walk with God. That's it. You must pursue. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. God is rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Diligently. You see, if we pursue through God's power, I said it before, I'll say it again. You praise if everything depends on you. John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Christian life is through the power of God. But then you act as if everything depends on you. And you dig in to pursue God. And reap the benefits of doing that. Now, the final point is much given, much expected. 
There are territories that Brother Mark read today in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. We don't have to go through cities where Christ was uh, performed many of his miracles in the Galilee region where he was, he was from. They saw much. They saw many miracles. They saw the power of God. And yet they rejected Christ. And Christ said, woe to you. Because cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And by the way, I'm told if you ever go to Sodom and Gomorrah, there's still little balls of sulfur from God's judgment on that city. That's what I'm told. Somebody that's going over there. But the point is this. We have been given much in America. We have great, we have so much information at our fingertips to develop our, our relationship with God. We will stand accountable for that, I believe. And greater accountability than someone else in other parts of the world. Look at verse 10. That's where I get this out. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. That phrase there, search carefully, it's like someone on a treasure hunt. They got the treasure map and they're looking to find this treasure and they're, they are doing everything they can to find it. That's the idea. That's what the, the, the prophets did. They searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating. Now, here's the key here. When he testified before, before him, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. In the Old Testament, you have prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and even Moses was considered a prophet. And, and they would, they, you know, some of them had some scripture, and they would search the scriptures. And then as time went on, maybe Daniel would have more than others, certainly more than Moses, and they would search the scriptures. And they were really searching diligently on these two things here. On one hand, Christ is going to suffer. And on the other hand, Christ is going to rule forever. And I can't quite get it. And so they searched. Passages like Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.21, Genesis 4, 4-5, which all point to the death of Christ early on. Isaiah 53. And then the glory, Daniel 2, 31-45, Daniel 7. Isaiah 11, Zechariah 14, and they did all this. And then they wrote it under the inspiration of God. And then the apostles came along and they had, during when the apostles, um, during their time, they had the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So they had this. So they had much more than the prophets. And when Paul was studying, he had that. And when Peter was studying, he had that. And so when he's writing his letters, he has a whole lot more information than Moses had. So he's more accountable. But then look what it says. To them, verse 12, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. This is Peter writing. So it goes beyond him. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. 
So now, Peter's saying, we have so much more. So we are thankful for that, but we're also accountable because we have more information than them. Now, fast forward to the future, 2,000 years later. Now, you and I not only have the completed scripture, but thanks to the computer, we can push a button and I could do a word search in seconds. That would have taken someone like Jonathan Edwards, who's about 10 times smarter than I am, hours and perhaps days to understand. So you and I, with great privilege, comes great responsibility. And so when we talk about living holy in an unholy world, we have insight and information into God that people in the past never had. The greats like Spurgeon and Edwards and Luther and Calvin and wherever else you want to put in there, we have it at the touch of a finger. And I want to encourage us to dig in this year. There's a free computer program called eSword that you can download on your computer and you can have so much at the tip of your finger. Free! And if you need help with that, see me. And so Peter comforts us here. He comforts us with this truth to help us through our trials and tribulations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God. We pray and trust again that you will take it you will speak to us. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And this is, again, something we can't fathom. Dwells in us as believers. And he is no doubt speaking to us this morning. And I pray the Spirit of God, as he speaks to hearts today, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to what you have to say to us. And Father, I pray as we see a common theme through this book already and the book of Philippians, I pray that we would see the importance of drawing close to you. Because when we do that, we have peace, we have joy, and we have power to be a testament to the unseen. So, Father, do your business. I don't want to say what you should do because each of us has different needs today. But I ask and pray that you would do your business in hearts today. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support, and we hope you have a God-blessed day.